0: Perhaps, you know, the story about Martin Luther is he was alone and sensed the presence of Satan in the room with him and threw an inkwell at the wall and splattered the wall with ink. Uh, This song we just sang is certainly based upon Martin Luther's own experience in dealing with the devil. Today, we come to Matthew chapter four. Uh, This is the passage of scripture marking still the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, where Jesus himself is uh, struggling With Satan. And as we look at this passage, I believe this is a case study in temptation for all of us because the way that the tempter comes to Jesus is the same way the tempter comes to you and me. So we can learn a great deal about how to deal with the devil in our own lives from the example of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for your word, thank you for its relevancy to all of life. Every one of us in this room knows temptation. Every one of us in this room has fallen prey to temptation. Every one of us in this room has been presumptuous in the face of temptation. Every one of us has been tricked by the tempter. Father, we pray today that you'll arm us with the tools of Jesus to know better how to defend ourselves and how to go on the attack. And God, I pray that because of what we do today, that you'll enable us to. Uh, take those steps necessary to be victors for Jesus Christ in the face of the challenges that are all around us in the world and uh, through what the tempter seeks to do to us. Uh, So God, be our teacher today. And I pray that we'll learn more than just Bible. Uh, I pray that we may learn truth that will enable us to truly be your soldiers in this world for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Corey Stringer is a name that probably doesn't need to be introduced to us as Minnesotans uh, because he played for the Minnesota Vikings. And, of course, in that day when there was 108-degree heat on the field, uh, he died of heat stroke. Now uh, Since the time of Corey Stringer, there are now three NFL teams uh, that are using what is called a radial pill. Uh, the radial pill is a pill that is designed uh, to send radio waves off to coaches I'd let the coach know that when the temperature inside the body is rising to a certain point, the coach can call the player to the sidelines and say, you're getting too hot, you need to take some uh, time out. As I thought about the, this uh, method, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if uh, when uh, we are in trouble, uh, perhaps uh, we could have some sort of radio pill we could ingest, and then we could be called to the sidelines. Wouldn't that be great for parents? You know, you make your kid take the pill before they go out on a date and... Uh, they get in trouble on the date, you know, the radio frequency waves come to you and you'll, you know, I've got to call the kid to the sidelines now. Or maybe as we're facing the challenges uh, that we face uh, with our accountability partners, we could all ingest radio pills and our accountability partners would know Whoop, temptation is happening. Why would not I give uh, Jim or John or Sally a call and bring them to the sidelines because they're in trouble right now. But we all know that's not the way it works in our Christian life. Because if there's one thing we know about the enemy of the church, uh, it's the enemy of the church is a deceiver. And he disguises the way he comes to us. Uh, He disguises his purposes. We can be certain that Satan is never going to come to us dragging the chains uh, that he intends to use to enslave us. He's never going to come with a siren sound. Uh, He's never going to say, I am now here to damn and destroy you for all eternity. He's going to slip into our life like a comfortable friend. And he's going to offer us some attractive package that at the outset looks like it ought to be something that we should accept. And before we know it, we have swallowed the lure to our own destruction. And then it seems that maybe it's weeks later, months later, we say to ourselves, what have I done? So it's critically important that we know about the deceptive ways of the enemy. And as he comes to Jesus, we learn something about those deceptive ways. So turn with me, first of all, to chapter four. We're going to look at verses one and two as we consider conditions for temptation. It's page 957 in your pew Bible, by the way. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Uh, we can look at this then, and we see uh, that this uh, first temptation of Jesus Christ uh, happened in the uh, in the desert. As Jesus was in the desert, probably the most arresting statement we see in this whole chapter is the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And you say, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute! The Spirit of God led Jesus into the desert." Uh, to be tempted? How can that be? Well, a couple truths we need to understand about this. Uh, first, we need to understand what the word tempt means. Uh, it is uh, from the Greek word pirazo. Uh, pirazo is a verb that means to test. Uh, it's a verb that has the idea of being put under pressure. Now, obviously, pressure can be good for us. Uh, pressure can be bad for us. It's the same word in non form uh, that we're told to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into Temptation, that's the noun form of this, uh, this verb. What we're praying in the Lord's Prayer is, God, I've had enough pressure in my life already. So please don't lead me into another pressure packed situation because I'm not sure I'm ready for that right now. But obviously the implication is there are occasions when God is going to lead us into pressure packed situations. Now, if you doubt that, you can look at James uh, chapter one and verse two, where James, the brother of Jesus, says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you face various Oftentimes it's translated trials. It's the same Greek word, same word that appears in the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer. Don't lead me into temptation. Same identical word. Now, we look at that passage and say, well, why is it that sometimes God might lead us into trying situations or pressure packed situations? Well, James tells us he says that is in the midst of these trying situations that we can learn endurance and we can learn patience and we can grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, That's the reason why Dominic Smart in his uh, book, Uh, Why Do We Get It Wrong, makes this observation about the Apostle Peter. Uh, He says, as we know about the denial of Peter at the time of the Passion, uh, we all know uh, that Jesus Christ was well aware of what Peter was going to do. He predicted it. Peter, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. Dominic Smart asked this question. Uh, If Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him, He predicted it. Why is it that Jesus Christ allowed Peter to go through the denial? He's the son of God. He's done miracles. Couldn't he have done something to prevent Peter from going through that denial? Well, certainly he could have, but he didn't. So Dominic Smart asked this question. Are there occasions in our lives where God might let us go through something that we might perceive as a failure? Because he wants us to learn some lessons that are invaluable to us. What do we know about Peter? Uh, Peter was sure of himself. He was dominant. He was brash. He was brazen. And what happened to him after his uh, denial? Well, he was humbled. What's the next event in his life? Well, Pentecost, where Peter had to learn that it's not about Peter. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about Peter. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Peter was brought to the point where in his humility, he came to see how dependent he was upon God. And maybe Jesus Christ just let him fail uh, for that very reason. Now, the first truth then is we uh, can acknowledge there may be occasions when we're under pressure. Maybe you're under pressure right now. And you're wondering why. Well, it could be that the Spirit of God has brought you to the place where He brought Jesus, I'm going to teach you some lessons. And instead of saying, Why am I facing this pressure? It's not right. It's not fair. Maybe the question we ought to be raising is, Lord, what do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow? What is this testing all about? If I'm supposed to count it all joy, Lord, I want to count it all joy, but I want to grow as a result of this. So uh, help me grow. Now, before we move on and look at uh, what the tempter does, we need to acknowledge one other thing. Not every temptation that we face, not every trial we face is because God has led us in the middle of it. Uh, It's the world, the flesh, and the devil that we fight. And there are occasions for us where we might be in the middle of something trying, and it's not the Spirit of God that led us there at all. We did it ourselves. Like the uh, story about the... A man who went to a bar in Texas and he ordered three beers and had the bartender open all three beers at the same time. And he began drinking his three beers. And The bartender said, well, don't you realize that if you open all three of these beers at the same time, the two that you open that you don't need are going to get flat? And he said, well, you don't understand. My brothers and I have a covenant with one another that we're always going to drink together. But one brother's in Australia, uh, another brother's in man- Montana. So what we do is that whenever we go drinking, We always have three beers just to remember the other two brothers. So that was his habit uh, for a period of months as he went to this particular bar. And then one day he came into the bar and he ordered two beers. He said, I want my two beers open. Well, the uh, patrons at the bar knew about his habit. And someone finally got up the nerve to walk over and talk to him and said, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to talk to you in your point of grief, but I just had to ask which of your brothers died. And he said, Oh, no, my brothers are fine. I don't know why you would say that. Uh, well, why are you just now having two beers when in the past you used to have three? He said, so, well, the answer is simple. Uh, I've just become a Baptist and I had to give up uh, beer, but my brothers are still drinkers. <laughs> the world, the flesh, uh, and the devil. It's not always, uh, Jesus is leading us in temptation. Sometimes, uh, we're plenty capable of doing it ourselves. The heart of this passage, however, centers around how the tempter comes to Jesus Christ. And as I said, as we see the tempter coming to Jesus, it's the same way that the tempter comes to us. And the first temptation, it's obvious, the tempter is approaching Jesus at his weakness. We've just seen Jesus Christ was out in the wilderness for 40 days in prayer and fasting. The text tells us now he was very hungry. So what does the tempter do? Uh, He comes to Jesus at his point of weakness, and let's address that issue of your hunger, uh, Jesus. And he offers uh, this suggestion. He says, if you are the son of God, and obviously there's a bit of a taunt in that, tell these stones to become bread. You're hungry, Jesus. Focus on your hunger. Take care of your physical need. Address your creature comfort. That's what you should do here. You can turn these stones into bread. And, of course, Jesus Christ could. He turned water into wine. He could have turned uh, stones into bread. So the tempter says, why don't you do that? And we uh, get uh, Christ's uh, response uh, to that. He responds uh, scripturally. and And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this sounds awfully good in church. We say, well, this is uh, is good for Jesus. But what do we do when the tempter comes to us at our point of weakness? What's the lesson here? Because he's going to come to us at our point of weakness. He knows our weaknesses better than you do, than I do. And he's going to attack us at our point of weaknesses. What's the the lesson here? Well, the uh, lesson here is uh, the tempter is going to try to convince us that our own comfort is more important than anything else. What was Jesus doing at this time? Starting his ministry. That's what he was doing. Why was he in the wilderness? Well, he was taken out in the wilderness by the Spirit of God, I believe, to focus upon the purpose of his ministry. What was the purpose of the ministry? Well, purpose of his ministry was to ultimately head toward the cross and die on the cross, an awful, excruciating death. And, oh, by the way, you uh, parents uh, should know, uh, in our drama next week, we are going to be showing the crucifixion of Christ in a rather graphic way, so... Um, there will be some blood that we'll see, the, Jesus' arms will be nailed to the cross, and you need to be sensitive to that if you think your kids uh, might be uncomfortable uh, with that. But that was the purpose of Jesus. He was going to die on the cross, and he was being prepared by the Spirit of God to focus on that. Now, the lesson, seems to me, is this. There are times for us when we can get so focused on our comfort, on what we think we need, that we aren't asking ourselves, well, what is it that God wants of me? Maybe at this particular time I'm going through this difficulty because God wants to test me. He wants to teach me something. Maybe I'm supposed to be saying with James, count it all joy when you experience trials instead of take away the trials, God. I want food. I want comfort. Maybe what God wants us to experience is what he wanted Jesus to experience. The growth that comes with staying in the middle of whatever it is that God wants us to learn. So Jesus Christ says, man does not live by bread alone. Well, that was the first temptation. Uh, All of us recognize that when we're weak emotionally and spiritually and physically, uh, the enemy is going to uh, come to us at that point. Grammy-winning pop diva Lauren Hill uh, has this to say about this experience. We have an enemy inside of us who tries to convince us there's something out there that is better than what God has for us, but it's not true. Every day I remind myself that what God is providing is always the best thing for me. Do you believe that today? Or are there occasions when your comfort, your needs might even get in the way of God's plan for you? We look at the second temptation of Jesus Christ. Uh, At first glance, it's a bit surprising to see what Satan attacks. But then we think about what happens in the church And maybe it's not so surprising, because if the enemy first attacks Jesus at his weakness, now he's attacking Jesus at his strength. Jesus, in every case, is going to use Scripture to defend himself. Every single case in all these temptations, he's using Scripture to defend himself. It was the greatest weapon that he had. And, of course, the Word of God is is our weapon as well. The enemy knows that. And what we see in this particular temptation is a reminder... That since the enemy knows for us as Christians, our primary weapon against him is the word of God. Well, he's going to become a master in God's word and he's going to use the Bible against us to trip us up. You can count on that, that he's going to do that. And because uh, the enemy is using scripture, we can let our guard down because uh, anyone using scripture seems rather compelling, seems kind of right. Well, it's the Bible. It must be right. It's kind of like the uh, story about the uh, the uh, British ship, uh, the Sheffield, a thirty five hundred ton destroyer that was engaged in 1982 in the Falkland Island conflict. Uh, The uh, captain of of, uh, the Sheffield was fairly secure because they had a sophisticated computer system on board. Uh, that was able to identify missiles that came in and destroy the missiles before they ever uh, hit the ship. So they weren't really worried about incoming missiles. But in their security, in their assurance that they were all set, they hadn't counted on the fact uh, that there would be an Argentinian uh, uh, plane that would be sending a French missile. And I'm going to mispronounce that it, this is the Exocet or Exocet or however you say this French uh, word, uh, this particular missile was sent by one plane against the Sheffield and that one missile destroyed the ship. And the irony of it is that the ship could have defended itself if it had recognized this was not a friendly missile as it had determined, but it was an unfriendly. Now, again, that's the challenge when the enemy comes to us with scripture, because scripture seems like friendly fire. It seems like that's fair. It's like that's, that's legitimate. Uh, that's the Bible. We, we don't have to worry about uh, something from the Bible uh, tripping us up. Yet, as you think about the greatest challenges the church of Jesus Christ has faced in 2000 years, it's come from misapplication of Scripture. I mean, there's just a ton of examples of this, but I'll, I'll give you a couple. We're living in a grace day and age where we revel in grace and you can focus on grace to a fault. You can say, well, it's true that it is by grace that you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's right there in the book of Ephesians. That is the word of God. And we can so focus on the grace of Jesus Christ that we say to ourselves, well, it doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what I do, because God is going to forgive me. Or as folks have said to me, God's just going to have to forgive me because he is a God of love. Well, that's a grace heresy. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that God has to forgive you because he's a God of love. It doesn't call for us to be involved in some sort of libertine lifestyle. Read what Paul says in the book of Galatians. It's not for freedom that we've been set free. There is also responsibility that we have. We, we need to dedicate ourselves to live for God. Uh, that's the justice of God that is also in Scripture. And then, of course, you can focus on justice to a fault. You can say to yourselves, well, it's about me behaving. That's what it's about. It's about me living in such a way that I can glorify God. That's what it's about. And you can have a justice heresy uh, where it's all about doing the right thing. If I just live my life in such a way and there's enough good that outweighs the bad. Well, then that's what God wants from me. Uh, Or we can find ourselves filled with the guilt and the shame that comes from telling ourselves I cannot measure up. To the justice of God, I am no good. And there are people who have attended this church who've told me that. That's how they feel. Well, that's not how God wants us to feel. He wants us to give us a balanced view on Scripture and grace and justice are both there. It is by grace that we're saved. But God doesn't save us by grace so that we can live for the devil. So let's get our theology straight and not let the enemy use the Bible against us and then create all kinds of heresies in the church to our own destruction. So I suppose we shouldn't be surprised that the enemy comes to Jesus and attacks his strength, just like he's going to attack the strength that we have, those of us who are committed to Scripture. But there's a third attack in this text. The third attack is identified for us in verses 8 through 11 as we look at the third attack, uh, now we see uh, that the enemy takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple. And uh, just just by way of observation, notice in the text uh, that the enemy keeps taking Jesus to a higher place. We start in the desert. um, You know, then uh, we go to the pinnacle of the temple. And I I said this wrong. Now it's to a very high mountain. So he's on this very high mountain. The previous context was uh, Matthew chapter three. In Matthew chapter three, do you know how far above sea level uh the Dead Sea is or the Jordan River? Not at all. It's well below sea level. So as we look at the previous context where the Spirit of God shows up, what is happening? Jesus is going down, down, down to the Jordan River below sea level. And then he goes down into the, uh, the Jordan River. And after going down to sea level, down to the Jordan River, that's when the Spirit of God comes like a dove and lands on his head. That's when God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, what's the enemy do? He takes Jesus up, up, up and eventually has him on the highest mountain uh, where he says to Jesus, let me give you the world, Jesus. And you say, what's the temptation here? What was the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ? When you go to a football game or a baseball game, what's the verse of scripture we see? Well, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What is the purpose of Jesus Christ? Well, to save the world. What is the means whereby He's going to do that? Well, death on the cross. What Satan's offered? Jesus, uh, the Spirit of God brought you here into this wilderness to prepare you for the mission in the ministry that is before you. And that's going to culminate in your death on the cross. i got a better deal for you. How about I just give you the world right now? You can have it. All you need to do is to bow your knee to me and you can say, mission accomplished. Got the world. Now, can uh, Satan make an offer like that? If you look at the Johann- Johannine literature, the Gospel of John and the epistles of John, Uh, Satan is called the prince of the world. In fact, the word world, the word cosmos uh, in the uh, Greek text in John and in the Johannine epistles uh, is a word that generally has the idea of evil world, uh, the world that uh, that Satan dominates. Now, obviously, Jesus Christ is bringing the world into subjection to himself. uh, But Satan is the prince of this world. So in one legitimate sense, we can say Satan has the power and the authority to give us riches, uh, to give us comfort. To give us things that we want. And he is uh, making that offer to Jesus Christ in the same way that he makes that offer to you and me. And Jesus uh, uh, responds here by assuring Satan uh, that he's not going to worship Satan. Because the scripture says uh, you should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So Jesus Christ sees what's at stake here. Uh, He sees that this is not about uh, getting the world it's about the enemy attacking the very purpose of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's the enemy wanting Jesus to surrender to him so that he couldn't ultimately surrender to God. Does the enemy ever do that to us? We look at the purpose of our existence, and I've said this on many occasions, why are we here once we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Well, the reason we're here is to fulfill the Great Commission, to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Can the enemy get a sidetrack from that mission? Because he's offering us the world in its place. He's telling us, well, it's your job. You got this job. You got this new thing before you. That's what really matters. Can he do that? Uh, can it be about that new car that you want, that new house that you want? You get sidetracked from the real mission and purpose that God has for you. Can it even be your kids? Uh, can it be concern for the family that might sidetrack you in some way and keep you from thinking about the reason why we're here in terms of eternal perspective? Of course it can happen. Uh, The enemy wants to get us sidetracked and uh, keep us from fulfilling the purpose uh, that uh, God has uh, for us. So he's going to be doing the same thing to us that he tried to do with Jesus. Let me just make a couple comments about uh, worship and then we'll go on to how to overcome temptation. So how does the enemy try to get us to worship him? We worship the tempter when God does not turn our stones into bread. Isn't that true? You look at your life and you say, oh, I want this comfort. I want this bread. I want this stuff now. And when God doesn't come through for us, well, then we can give in to the enemy. Say, Oh, God's supposed to be a God of love and he's not meeting my need. How come he's not meeting my need? And we get mad at God without recognizing this is just a ploy of the enemy. Or we worship him when we wonder why God is not saving us when we're falling. That was the second temptation. You just fall from the temple here and God will send his angels to save you. And we might be in the midst of some free fall and we don't know why. And we then are going to cry out to God and say, God, I don't get this. How come you're not saving me in the midst of whatever it is that I'm facing? And then we clench our fists and get angry at God and wonder, what is he doing? Are we worshiping when we're more concerned about this world uh, than we are about the next, which is uh, what the enemy tried to get Jesus to do? Well, so much for what the enemy does. What are we supposed to do? Third and final point, how do you overcome Temptation. I'm going to look at a variety of scriptures outside of our text now, uh, but I hope this will all be helpful to us. It seems to me the first way to overcome a temptation is to recognize we will, in fact, be tempted. First uh, Peter, chapter five and verse eight says the devil, like a roaring lion, wanders about seeking whom he may devour. So what happened to Jesus is going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. The enemy is hell bent to destroy us. That's what he's going to do. So uh, what can we expect in the light of of, uh, this truth? Well, I think we uh, can expect uh, that the enemy is going to come with attractive packages and try to trip us up. He's never going to offer us something uh, that is unattractive. Uh, He's going to make it seem like the attractive package that he's offering uh, is ultimately good for us. There's a a story about uh, uh, some fishermen uh, off uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts who heard that the tuna were running in 1999. Uh, and uh, also was rumored that one tuna could uh, gain as much as $50,000 in the Japanese market. It makes you want to become a tuna fisherman, doesn't it? Uh, so in any case, that was the word. So there are a number of kind of amateurish uh, fishermen that decided to go out and catch these uh, tuna. On September 23rd, the Christy Ann, a 19-foot boat, capsized while doing battle with a tuna. I mean, the boat sank trying to catch a tuna. That same day, the 27-foot boat, basic instinct, also sank trying to catch a tuna. And according to the stories, these tuna weigh 600 pounds. They brought these 600 pounds or tried to bring these 600-pound tuna on board ship. And as they were trying to pull them up, it sank the ship, you know, trying to bring a tuna that big into a 19-foot boat. And then one other boat, uh, the official business, which was a 28-footer, was swamped after it hooked a 600-pound tuna and the tuna simply pulled it underwater, just sank the ship. So maybe it's not such a good idea to be a tuna fisherman uh, after, after all. Uh, the, the, the point is we should expect uh, temptation, not be surprised when it happens, and maybe even acknowledge God is uh, testing me so that I can grow and I can learn something. Well, the second way that we can overcome uh, the enemy, it seems to me, uh, from this passage of Scripture, is we better know the Bible. How did Jesus defend himself in every single temptation? He quoted Scripture. Satan quoted Scripture back at him. So what's that imply? Well, you better know the Bible as well as the uh, enemy does or you're in trouble. Because the enemy is even going to use Scripture against us. He's going to say, well... You know, the Bible says that God is a God of love. If he really loves you, he's not going to let you free fall, is he? Sounds right when he says it. You know that the Bible says that if you pray earnestly, God's going to give you anything that you want. So isn't he supposed to give you bread? That sounds right, doesn't it? And that's exactly the way the enemy is going to trip us up. So we better know Scripture uh, better than he does. And what that means is uh, we better get in some Bible studies. We better be studying Scripture on our own uh, we better become masters in the word of God because the enemy already is. It seems to me that the third thing that we can do to overcome uh, temptation uh, is to worship. That's what Jesus does. That's his suggestion of the third uh, temptation uh, that I'm not going to bow down and worship you, Satan, because the Bible says I should worship God and him alone. Um, we can look at this and say, well, what does that mean practically? Well, I think one of the most effective things we can do when we're under pressure, when we're feeling a little bit depressed or when we're tempted is to say, I'm going to focus my attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture you would know because I have it so many times here is in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, where the Apostle Paul is giving us a method for peace in the midst of whatever challenge we face, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Whatever is pleasing, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of uh, praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And what's the promise of God's word and the peace of God will be with you. So you can determine to focus your attention on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you. You can determine that you're going to worship God in the midst of whatever pressure you're facing. You're going to uh, do a mind exercise where you're just going to commit yourself to do that. And you're going to worship Jesus or you're going to play some praise song. And you're going to meditate on the implications of the praise song as you're ready to go to bed at night so you can sleep resting in the arms of Jesus. You're going to picture Jesus Christ in his tenderness reaching out to you. You're going to worship him and then overcome what the enemy is doing. Uh, you can ask him to help you. Uh, I normally don't read long quotes, but um, uh, John Piper has nailed it. And I'm going to read a, a statement from John Piper on what we can do. Uh, he, he says in regarding asking Jesus for help, we must not give a sexual image or impulse more than five seconds before we mount a violent counterattack with the mind. I mean that. Five seconds. And the first two seconds we shout, no, get out of my head. And the next two seconds we cry out, oh, God, in the name of Jesus, help me. Save me now. I am yours. Good beginning. But then the real battle begins. This is mind war. The absolute necessity is get the image and the impulse out of our mind. How do we do that? Get a counterimage into the mind. Fight, push, strike. Don't ease up. It must be an image so powerful that the other image cannot survive. There are lust destroying images and thoughts. For example, have you ever, in the first five seconds of de- temptation, demanded of your mind that it looks steadfastly at the crucified form of Jesus Christ? Picture this: you've just seen a peekaboo blouse inviting further fantasy. You have five seconds. No, get out of my mind. God help me. Now immediately demand of your mind. You can do this by the Spirit. Read Romans eight thirteen. Demand of your mind to fix its gaze on Christ and on the cross. Use all your fantasizing power to see his lacerated back. Thirty-nine lashes left little flesh intact. He heaves with his breath up and down against the rough vertical beam of the cross. Each breath puts splinters into the lacerations. The Lord gasps. From time to time, he screams out with intolerable pain. He tries to pull away from the wood, and the massive uh, spikes through his wrist rip into the nerve endings. And he screams again with agony and pushes up his feet to give some relief to his rel- to his wrist. But the bones and the nerves and his pierced feet crush against each other with anguish. And he screams again. There's no relief. His throat is raw from screaming and thirst. He loses his breath and thinks he's suffocating. And suddenly his, bo- his body ga- involuntarily gasps for air and all his injuries unite in pain. In torment, he forgets the crown of two inch thorns and throws his head back in desperation only to hit one of the thorns perpendicularly against the crossbeam and drive it a half inch into his skull. His voice reaches a soprano pitch of pain and sobs over the pain wrecked body as every cry brings more and more pain. So get a picture of Jesus suffering for you. Next suggestion comes from the Sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus Christ suggests this as we face temptation. Why don't you pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're praying resistance prayers Uh, as the day begins before we even face temptation. We're starting the day saying, Lord, keep me from temptation today. Lord, protect me from the evil one today. Give me a mind of Christ today. God, keep me holy today. We pray that way as we start the day. And then there's another side of this I don't normally expect to remember any theology from hee-haw. But I I came across uh, something this last week. Uh, There was an occasion on that show when uh, Doc Campbell is confronted by a patient who said that he broke his arm in two places. So Doc Campbell replies, well, then stay out of them places. Well, that would be the other side of that. As we're praying, uh, God, lead me not into temptation. Well, maybe we ought to stay away from the places where we know uh, we could be tempted. The next uh, suggestion comes from James, James 4, 7. James, the brother of Jesus, says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You say, how do you do that? Muhammad Ali offers this uh, suggestion. He says wherever he goes, he takes a small box of matches with him. And then uh, he explains whenever I go to a party and I'm tempted by a beautiful woman, I simply pull out one of the matches and strike it. Then I put out, uh, put it out with my fingers and remind myself, hell is a lot hotter than this. Well, that might be effective. I was talking to my wife uh, uh, this last week uh, about this message. We were going through this portion of the message. And she said what she does is she takes her fingers and she uh, folds them in on her palms. I've seen her do this. I didn't know why she was doing this. Uh, usually it's right after I say something or do something that she, uh, she, she does that. But she folds her fingers on her, on her palms like this. And what she is doing is putting her fingers in the, uh, the wounds of Jesus Christ on her wrists. And she presses her fingers into her palms as if she is touching those wounds of Jesus Christ and reminding herself. After I said something stupid, not to give in to temptation, but to stay focused on Jesus Christ. So, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Last a recommendation on how we can overcome temptation it comes from First Corinthians chapter ten and verse thirteen, where there the apostle Paul says. You need to know that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Our Father loves us. He cares about us. We're not involved in some sort of cosmic dualism. I've uh, seen one individual recommend uh, that uh, you uh, get your little Satan pack. And in the Satan pack, you have these mirror images. And every day you get up and you do your little thing with your Satan pack. That's just stupid to me. Um, We don't have to fear that we're going to fall prey to the enemy Uh, in uh, John. John tells us greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You don't have to worry about victory. The victory has been won on the cross of Jesus Christ for you. Claim that victory in Christ. Believe that God has provided the resources through prayer and through his word and through the spirit of God for you to enjoy victory. Know that God is giving you the church whereby you have accountability partners who can encourage you and support you, enable you to establish that victory. So though we should expect that we're going to be tempted, don't expect defeat. Because God says you don't have to worry about defeat. I'm not going to allow you to be defeated. As long as you uh, take advantage of everything that I've already provided for you as your means of victory. So claim the victory that is yours in Christ Jesus and know that when you... Make the decision to resist the devil. You've got the armies of God supporting you. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, you know that every one of us in this room struggle with temptation. Some of us have struggled with it already today. And Father, there are occasions for us when we want to just give up and defeat and say, what's the use? I I can't resist that temptation. No sense bothering anymore. And Father, I, I pray that at the very least we'll remember the challenge of John Piper That we'll come to the point where we can focus ourselves so on Jesus Christ and what he's done. That as we get the image of Jesus into our minds and we focus on that instead of whatever fantasy or picture is tempting us. uh, God, there's no way that can't work for us. And, Father, I pray that you'll assure us uh, that it is true that greater is he that is us than he that is in the world. So we don't have to worry that we're involved in some cosmic duel where we're bound perhaps to defeat. But the victory has been won for us through Jesus Christ. God, we claim that victory in Christ and trust you for it. And pray this Easter week as we remind ourselves of the great victory that Jesus Christ established for us on the cross. That we may also be prepared to say the devil has no sway over me this week or the next. Because Jesus has provided a way of escape and I'm going to take it. Lord, may uh, we as we experience that victory be those who encourage victory in the hearts and lives of people in our family, people at work, people that we see in our community, for the sake of Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.